Good morning. Um, I'm going to be reading out of Mark 7, starting in verse 31. Uh, Join me in reading God's word. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And then they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you, Kelly. The God we worship is a missional God. It just means that he's a God with a mission. He's always had a mission, and his mission is to help people everywhere find their way back to him. That's why the Father sent the Son. That's why the Son sent the Spirit, and that's why the Spirit sends us, so that people everywhere can find their way back to God. And every one of us, every Christian, everybody that follows Jesus is responsible for this mission of helping people find their way back to God. And God has given us uh, a useful tool to use. It is this idea of blessing. We have, we have framed it up this way, that we are blessed to bless. Say it with me. We are blessed to bless. One more time. We are blessed to bless. That strategy has been around since the time of Abraham, and it just means that in the way that God has blessed us, we are to pass that blessing on to others. It's not for us to hold and keep. It's for us to give to others so that they can find their way back to God. And so that's why we have this word bless in front of you, and we have made it to week number four and the first S. Let's recap, right? We B, we begin with prayer. We L, listen. We E, eat. And we S, serve. And then the final S is going to be story. We share our story, and we'll, we'll talk about that next week, okay? So let's spend some time today on this fourth practice, this fourth strategy of serving the people that are around us and serving with love. S stands for serve, and in your bulletin, there should be blanks for with love, but I forgot to put those in. Sorry about that. It should read just like that. Serve with love. That's what this first S is all about. There was a question posted on Facebook. It went this way. What makes it hard for you to serve other people? And people gave uh, their answers. Uh, Here are some of them. Uh, One person wrote, serving is hard when it doesn't fit into my schedule or plan. Like when I want to go for a walk or take a long bath, but my aging parent needs me to sort their meds, run an errand, or simply be with them. Sometimes 
service is kind of a crunch on our time schedule. Here's, the, here's another answer. It's hard when, to serve when their need seems endless. I don't want to risk helping or serving because I may get sucked in, being swallowed up in the serving and not getting to be the me that I think I am or should be. And some of us are really scared to serve because of that. We might, I, what does this mean? Am I going to be an indentured slave for the rest of my life? Here's another answer. Uh, there's such limited energy left after a demanding workday, meeting our basic responsibilities, whether with young kids or the corporate world. How do you balance the need for rest and self-care with serving others? And some of us, yeah, we, we've got busy schedules, and now you want me to serve on top of that? How in the world is that going to work? Here's probably uh, my, one of my favorite answers. Uh, what makes it hard to serve others? And survey says, others, Right? <laughs> Yes, absolutely. I mean, people are the reason it's hard to serve people because I am a people and I'm crazy sometimes. And uh, when we start serving, it's the others that will always be there. They'll never go away. And so how in the world do we serve people? And I'm not sure that we're going to be able to answer all of those issues, but I think the one thing that we can do today is the best thing that we can do. And that is to watch how Jesus served. And in Mark chapter 7, in our text today, I'm going to use some hinge words to describe how Jesus serves in this little episode in his life from Mark chapter 7. And the first word that we need to throw out is the word proximity, proximity. Verse 31, 32, Jesus and his disciples have just returned from a long trip to the Gentile areas, and now they're back in Galilee. And some people, uh, my text says they, brought somebody to this man to Jesus. I don't know who they is, but they bring this man who is deaf. And because he's deaf, he can't speak well. He's not mute. He can speak, but he can't hear well enough uh, to know what he's saying. And so he can't, he doesn't know if he's saying things correctly. And in a world where there was no such thing as speech therapy, let's just say that's a bad issue. That's, that's a problem, Right. And this man is brought to Jesus. And proximity just means this, that the people Jesus served were the people right in front of him. That's it. It's very simple, but it's very profound. This guy at the moment is the one right in front of Jesus. So that's who he served. Wherever he went, Jesus served with the people right in front of him. If you back up the one story before this story, Jesus is way north with his disciples in a Gentile area, and a Gentile woman comes to him, and she has a daughter who's uh, dying. And they have this exchange, and he ends up serving this Gentile woman. Why? Because she was the one in front of him. You can see this throughout the New Testament. Wherever Jesus is, he serves the people who are in front of him in proximity. And so, no matter where God leads you, he has either sent you to the people you are to serve, or he's going to send you to the people you are to serve. No matter where God leads you. He has either sent you to the people you're going to serve or he's going to send you to the people that you are to serve. Almost without exception, the people who we are meant to serve will be right in front of us. Now, what does that mean? It means this. Most of the time when we think about serving, we want to start with a project. 
We want to start with, well, maybe I should rake the lawn uh, for somebody, or, or uh, maybe I should paint their fence, or maybe I should do, you know, bake some cookies and take to them. We start with the project. What we learn here is that's backwards. We need to start with the person. Start with the person, and the project will appear because we will be listening to the person, right? Here's the second word. And it goes, uh, dovetails right into this very nicely, perceptively. Jesus serves in proximity, and he serves perceptively. Look at verse 33. Uh, What does Jesus do with this man who is brought to him? The text says that Jesus took him aside. In other words, Jesus took him away from the attention of all the people. There might have been a lot of crowds there that day, and this man is probably in the middle of those crowds, and Jesus is probably in the middle, and he takes this man, and they go somewhere private, somewhere aside, so that Jesus can serve him well. Now, why would he do that? Because he's healed a lot of people very publicly before. So why does Jesus take this particular guy aside by himself? Well, the Bible says, Mark writes, that this guy was deaf, he had a severe speech impediment, and so more than likely, this guy knows what it's like to be made fun of. He is a constant spectacle wherever he goes. There's a lot of mocking and joking and pointed fingers and laughing that are common occurrences in everyday life for this guy. Kids can be cruel, but adults can be worse sometimes. And that's the way it is. And so every time this man in his life, he tries to speak, there are these fractured, garbled words that come out and it draws attention to his disability. And this is one of the great things that we need to take away about this story, that Jesus realizes this and he refuses to let this man be made a spectacle of anymore. He knows his condition. And so he takes him aside, away from the crowd where he will be safe. And Jesus is serving this guy in such a way that shows that he understands what he needs beyond the obvious. It's obvious that he can't hear and he can't speak well. That's obvious. But what he really needs is to be shown love and worth as a person. And that's why Jesus takes him aside and he gives him that that message in that simple act. Stephen Covey, in his bestseller, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, tells a story about him being on a subway in New York City. And he was trying to read a book. And at one of the stops, there were some kids that got on with their, with their father. And these kids begin running up and down throughout the subway car. And they weren't just loud. They were way out of control. They were jumping up and down, running loudly. And the father really, he's sitting in a corner. He seemed really not to even care or notice that his children are misbehaving and disturbing all of the other commuters. And finally, Stephen Covey couldn't really take it anymore. And so he approached the father. He explained, you really need to control your children because they're disturbing a lot of people. And the father kind of lifted his gaze as if to, you know, be, be aware of the situation for the very first time. And he said, oh, oh, you're right. And then he sighed. And he said very sullenly, he said, we just came from the hospital where their mother died about an hour ago. And I don't know what to think. And I got to be honest, I, I guess they don't know how to handle this either. And Cubby writes in his book, He writes this, can you imagine what I felt at that moment? I suddenly saw things differently. I suddenly felt things differently. I suddenly behaved differently. And he uses that story to make the point that's critical for us to hear today, that it 
is crucial that we seek first to understand where people are. The people that God has put in close proximity to you, where you work or where you play or where you hang out or where your neighborhood is, if, don't assume that you know their story or their pain. Serve them perceptively. And that goes back to L. Listen to them so that you can serve them well. And so Jesus, uh, number three, serves personally, personally. Verses 33 and 34, there are two ways that Jesus gets really personal here with this man. One is with a sigh, this word apathra that none of us can say, (laughs) Uh, means be opened. And Jesus sighs before he says it. And it's as if he's entering into this guy's world. Some of you, when you when, when I said the, the backstory of the guy that got on the subway, when I told that to you, I could hear it. When you learned that, that the mother had just died, his wife had just died, some of you audibly, oh, right? That's the sigh that Jesus does here. It's, it's the oh that happens when really bad news about somebody comes. You, you don't think, you just react, you groan. You go, oh, and I, I, I can't imagine what this guy's been through, and that's what Jesus does. He was deeply affected by the suffering of people he was serving. He served courageously. He entered into the pain of the people that he was blessing. He understood this man, and it was personal, and he sighed. Alan Hirsch says it this way, whoever we are called to serve, we need to feel their pain. Whoever we are called to serve, we need to feel their pain. Serving others is going to get personal, and it needs to. And it needs to pull a sigh out of us at some point. And so personal involves the sigh, but it also involves a sign. And this is amazing. I love this part in the text. This is my favorite part here. Jesus gives, gets really personal. He steps into this guy's world. And to explain how he does that, I'm going to need to point out a couple things. Number one, I need you to remember that this guy is a deaf man with a speech impediment, okay? It means that his whole life, Every new person he meets, he has an incredible mountain to climb. First, he has to assess, does this person want to communicate with me, right? And if the answer is yes, then he has to say to himself, how in the world are we going to communicate, right? Because even in our world, we have this actual language for people with issues like this called American Sign Language, right? And we have another language. I don't know what that is, but anyway, uh, uh, we can sign right? I don't know how to sign, but we can't, it can be done so that we can communicate with people with these issues, okay? In this day, there's not that. Um, so how does this guy talk with people? And the answer is not very easily because nobody knows his signs. I don't know even sign language. I was in Bible college for three years. My third year, we have, a, we have a deaf ministry down there, and they, they do uh, signing for all the chapel services every Tuesday and Thursday, right? And uh, I have sat for three years and watched them down there do their thing, and they're doing this all the time. And in my third year of Bible college, I say to Amy, I say, why are they doing this all the time? Anybody know? You don't know sign language either. This is Jesus This is the sign for Jesus, nails in the hand, right? And if you're at a Bible college and you're signing a sermon, you ought to do that a lot, right? 
How did it take me three years to know that? I don't know, but that's the way it was. This guy has issues communicating with other people. It's an incredibly difficult climb with every new person in his life, okay? So I need you to remember that. Then I also to rem- need, you to point, uh, need to point you to the four things that Jesus does in this text, all right? <clears throat> it says, number one, that he put his fingers in this guy's ears, right? Number two, it says that he spit. <sniffs> Got it? Number three, it says that he touched this guy's tongue. Did he spit on his hand and then touch the tongue? Did he spit on the ground and then touch this guy's tongue? I don't know. You'll have to save that for heaven. I have no idea where the spit went, okay? All right? I just know there's spit. Four, he looks up to heaven and prays to God. Now, can we all agree that that's a pretty personal thing? You might get away if you sneak up behind me and touch my ear, but there's no way you're putting your fingers on my tongue, okay? It's not, not going to happen, all right? But here's Jesus. He is clearly, decidedly into the personal space bubble of this deaf man. And he's touching his ears. He's spitting. He's touching his tongue. He's praying to heaven. Now, the other thing I need you to know is that in Jesus' day, spittle, that's a fun word, right? Spittle. Use that. Use that later today. Even if you're not a cowboy or a baseball player, spittle is fun, okay? Um, he... Spittle was believed to have, in Jesus' day, medicinal and healing powers. That's the word I need you to associate with spit. Healing. Healing. There was something magical about spit in Jesus' day. And so magic loogies were, long, were around long before Seinfeld. It was awesome. Okay? Uh, people believed that there were actually healing powers in spit. And now, so let's be clear I'm not saying, nor is Mark saying, that it's Jesus' spit that heals this guy. But the spit and the meaning that people assign to it, that's what's important, and that's what plays a role here. And I need to demonstrate this with a volunteer. And Jeff Armstrong, you have been volunteered, okay? So come on up. I need you to come up. And you won't have to do anything, I promise. I won't mess your bow tie up. And I, I, won't, I won't even touch your beard, man. Okay, so I'm going to demonstrate the four things that Jesus did, and I want you to try to, I'm not going to touch your tongue. I'm not going to touch anything. I'm just going to demonstrate very, very generally. Okay, I want you to try to connect the dots. What is Jesus doing? What is Jesus doing? What's the first thing that he does? He, he takes this man aside, and what's the first of the four things he does? He puts his fingers in his ears right? What's the second thing that he does? He spits. What's the third thing that he does? He touches his tongue. What's the fourth thing he does? He prays. He opens his hands, lifts them to God, okay? Let me, let me go through that a couple times. Touch ears, spit, touch the tongue. I'm going to pray to God. What does that look like? I'm going to touch your ears, I'm going to heal you. I'm going to get rid of this tongue thing, tongue-tied thing you got going on, and I'm going to ask God to do all of this. Do you realize what Jesus is doing? He is signing to this guy in the only way that this guy can understand. 
There's no thing, there's no such thing as sign language. This guy has been having to point and to, uh, and to motion and to do all of these antics to try to communicate with people all of his life. And here's Jesus who takes him aside and says, you know these ears? I'm going to heal you. I'm going to fix this tongue, this problem you've got going, and I'm going to ask God to do it right now. Isn't that awesome? Give Jeff a hand. Thank you, sir. Is the bow tie still intact? Okay, good. Awesome. Awesome. Jesus pulls this guy aside. He communicates to this guy in a way that only he would understand what Jesus is doing. And Jesus is communicating so that a very scared man who is used to being made fun of and a spectacle isn't scared to death. And he knows what Jesus is going to do. He knows exactly what Jesus is going to do. And I'm sure he's glad about that. And in sign language, Jesus says, I'm going to I'm going to heal you. I'm going to do something about these ears. I'm going to do something about that tongue. I'm going to pray to God that he will work a miracle. True compassion doesn't just feel. It reaches out. It doesn't just feel. It reaches out. Let your sigh for others lead you to action. Here's number four. Jesus serves in proximity. He serves perceptively. He serves very personally, and then he also serves powerfully. I was very clear with you that the spit didn't have anything to do with the healing, right? What did have to do with the healing? Where was the power for the miracle that happened here? It was God himself as Jesus prayed and said, God, would you heal this man? And to serve this man well, Jesus accessed and used God's power. And the quick little point I want to make is that that power is available to us. When, when, we, when we serve, we're usually focused on the thing that we're doing. We're usually focused on mowing the lawn or uh, painting the fence or whatever it is, every, uh, shoveling a driveway or adopting a kid. Everything is big and we should do them. But what we can never forget is that we have this power of God available to us too. And it means this, that if we're mowing the lawn and somebody inside is sick and that's why we're mowing the lawn, then maybe we should pray that they will be healed while we're mowing the lawn. Right? Are they in some form of addiction, and that's why you're having to help them out, then let's pray for the power of God to free them from that addiction. Are they in a broken relationship, and maybe you're watching their kids so that they can work on their relationship, why don't you pray while you're watching their kids that that relationship can be restored and the power of God would work a miracle? Don't ever be afraid to ask God for a miracle because that's what Jesus does. Jesus says, God, I want you to take this tongue that's been tied up in knots this man's whole life, and I want you to loosen it. I want you to untie it so that he can speak freely, so that he can hear the things that he's always been meant to hear. There was a couple, um, a couple years ago, a guy named Dave went to uh, Norway, <clears throat> and he was working with a state-run Lutheran Pentecostal church. <laughs> and if you understand any of those terms, you know that none of them go together. State-run Lutheran Pentecostal church, okay? Now, the amazing thing was that despite all of that, this was an amazing church, and they did something remarkably simple. What they would do is on the weekends, 
they would go down to their town square where they were located and they would set up a tent and they would put a banner on the top of the tent and the banner just simply said, healing prayer. And the weekend was one of the busiest times in the town square. Everybody would go and while everybody was in the town square, the church people would go and they would be at the tent and they would hand out uh, free coffee and they would hang out with people and they would offer refreshments and then they would just offer prayer for anybody who wanted prayer. And it was amazing to see people who never stepped foot in a church to come and step into this tent and say, I need prayer. I need prayer for my mom. I need prayer for my aunt that's two, two, you know, 200 miles away. I, I need prayer for my wife that's home. I need prayer for me. And they would pray for these people. They would just put a hand on their shoulder and they would pray for God's power to work in that person's life. There wasn't anything weird about it. It was just praying. And the pastor was telling uh, this guy, Dave, who went over to see this, he said, it's amazing the results. He said, when we do this kind of thing in our church walls, yeah, we have about a 10% success rate. But when we do this out in the town square underneath the tent with people who don't give a rip about God, 80% of them come back to us and say, your prayers worked. Isn't that amazing? I don't know what to make of that. I don't know what to make of those kind of statistics. But I do know that we have a power available to us that will really help people and guide them back to a God that they've been separated from if we would just use it. Here's number five. Jesus serves in proximity. He serves perceptively. He serves personally. He serves powerfully. And then at least here, he serves very privately, very privately. Jesus says to those who saw what had been done, that this man was speaking, he was hearing, uh, that he saw, he, everybody saw what had been done, and he says to them, Jesus does, he says, don't tell anyone. And the more he asked them not to talk, the more they talked. Yeah, that's how that works. And there's one reason, probably amongst a lot, uh, why Jesus said, don't tell anybody. And one of the reasons is that Jesus didn't want to be known only as a magic show. I, I, the goal is not to win people to the miracles. The goal is to have the miracles point to the Messiah, to point to the man who is the miracle. The goal is that people find him, not just some magic trick. And the text says that people were astonished beyond measure. They said of Jesus, he has done everything well. We could translate that this way, that the people looked on Jesus and said, it is good. Does that remind you of anything? If you go back to Genesis chapter one, God creates and creates and creates. And after every act of creation, he says, it is good. It is good. And so what are they doing? They're seeing Jesus, who is the creator of the world, taking the things that the world has twisted up, even stopped ears and a a tied-up tongue, and making them right again, making them good. Human sin has spoiled it all, and here is Jesus who has come to bring back to the world the beauty that God intended to be there all along. And so let's serve like that. Let's serve in such a way that everything we do points to Jesus. 
And yeah, we're going to be out and people are going to see you serving. They're going to know you did it. But somehow, can we hide behind the name of Jesus? Can we make ourselves private and his, his name very public? Can we point them to him? Because we don't have any saving ability, but Jesus, Jesus has come. And he can put the world back to good. So let's point to him in everything we do. I want to close with three challenges really quickly. Number one, here's a challenge. One of these challenges will resonate with you, so I want you to do at least one of them, okay? Uh, Extra credit if you do all three. Great, wonderful. Number one, relocate yourself. Remember, God has either sent you already or he's going to send you to somebody that you can serve. Make sure you're in the spot that you need to be. Whether you're planted firmly and, you know, just in in your station in life, God is not going to move you. Well, relocate yourself so that the people around you now become people that you can serve. Okay? Maybe you're in a situation in life where God is about to move you. Job or life circumstance or something. You're, You're going to be moved in some way. When you get to that new place, find people around you who are in close proximity to you so that you can serve them. Relocate yourself wherever you are. Number two, 48-hour action. 48-hour action. When I say serve the people who are close to you, what picture pops into your head? What person pops into your head? That's the person you need to serve. And I would challenge you to do something for that person in the next 48 hours, okay? So by noon on Tuesday, you're gonna serve in some way. You're gonna listen, you're gonna serve perceptively, you're gonna be in close proximity, you're gonna ask God for power, you're gonna point to him with whatever you do, and you're just gonna serve that person. Here's number three, epaphra, (laughs) be opened. Be opened today, not only to miracles, but to the one they point to. A savior. Some of you maybe came here today and you've never accepted this guy named Jesus. You've only seen the miracles, but you've not seen the Messiah. You've, not, you've seen the magic show, but you haven't seen what he can really, really do. And what he can really, really do is give you life forever. And he's made it possible for you to have that. It just means you follow him. And following him means that you respond in faith, that I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that you respond in baptism. The baptistry waters are where you restore this relationship. And then the rest of your life, you're about serving other people in the same way Jesus has served you. Maybe that, that is what you need to be open to for the first time today. If that's the case, you come. Father, we thank you that you have given us a great example of serving in, in Jesus. That at every turn, we see a Savior who is willing to humble himself and take the very nature of even a servant, even the lowest of the low of us. That's where Jesus went so that he could serve us well. And it took him to a cross. And that cross enabled us to have a right relationship with you. God, would you help us to recognize how well we have been served so that we can now go out and serve others. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. I'd like you to stand. And uh, you have a prayer issue. There will be 
people here to pray with you. If you are open to taking that first step and following Jesus for the first time, you come, and we'd, we'd love to talk to you as we sing.